really, really grateful to be here, Calvary. Love you guys so much. Uh, we love this church, love all of your beautiful faces, and uh, our uh, driver's licenses might say Montana, uh, but our taste buds are still New Mexican, so we're really <laughs> glad to be here, thrilled. We think that heaven is going to be catered by Sadie's, and uh, maybe some appetizers off the El Pinto menu as well. That fried green chili is pretty phenomenal. Uh, but we're thrilled uh, by what God's doing at this church. Celebrate with you the West Campus. Come on, let's thank God for a tremendous opening and all that he's doing there. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, what a joy, what a, what a mission, what a calling it is to, to have the grace uh, to get to be a mom, adopted mom, foster mom, grandmom. Just that's a wonderful thing. And we really do celebrate the calling that it takes, the courage that it takes, the commitment required uh, to be a mom. So thank you, thank you, thank you from all of us who benefit from your love and uh, your warmth. So thank you. Come on, let's celebrate those moms again. Linya is... Uh, my God, Mom, and uh, Pastor Skip, of course, they've just, they have been like another set of parents to us. We're so grateful for them. I'm thankful for my mom, Skye, and my wife, who's a tremendous mom to our, to our children. And uh, so what a fun thing to get to celebrate with you and to preach with this incredibly cool cloud behind me. That's, that's a first. I, uh, I like it. I don't understand it, but I like it. Um, the, that's art, though, right? Um, so in our time this weekend, we've been throughout these uh, services that have been going on, I've been kind of speaking out of a message that God's uh, given to us to carry. And in this season, we've been just really feeling just a, a great sense of calling to, to preach this message. And it's wrapped up in my new book, I Declare War, uh, Four Keys to Winning the Battle with Yourself. So if this book, if, if, if what you hear today in this message encourages you in any way, uh, then consider what you're hearing, just the Costco-sized sample. And uh, the chimichangas are on aisle seven. Uh, so there's, there's more where this comes from. Of course, 240 pages, squeezing it down into a, a talk. Uh, difficult to do, but there's study guides to take it further, video curriculum and, and all of that that you can, you can access it anywhere where books are sold. I would tell you to go to your books are here at the church, but it sold out really quickly. So you could go to, of course, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, whatever. But uh, four keys to winning the battle with yourself. Uh, why would I write such a book? Why would I speak such a message? Uh, here's why. Because you are at war whether you admit it or not. And that's true on a number of different levels. Um, I mean, we could talk about the devil. I mean, we could talk about the world, both of which bring complexity into our lives. The, the Bible says you have an enemy and he is, he's your adversary. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a murderer. Just like God uh, wants to bless you and God wants to use you, the devil wants to destroy you. The devil wants you to not enter into everything God has for you. So that's true. Um, the world brings complexity because when we choose to follow Jesus, the Bible says we will face tribulation in this world. Tribulation that happens just because of natural disasters and crime and car accidents and, and that kind of stuff. But also, specifically, if you're a Jesus follower, don't forget the world crucified Jesus. And if you follow him, there's going to come pushback on you. But that's not the, the conflict I'm talking about. I'm not talking about spiritual opposition with the devil. And I'm not really even talking about difficulty you face, persecution in this world. What I'm talking about is your most dangerous opponent, your most deceptive opponent. And that, my friends, is you. I've found in this life my three biggest problems are as follows. Me, myself, and I. 
I believe in a devil. What kind of a pastor would it be if I didn't? And I believe that there can be hardship that comes your way because of following Jesus in this fallen world. I've experienced all of that. But I also, God has opened my eyes up to see that I'm capable of creating more problems for myself than just about anybody. And I think a lot of times we blame, we blame the enemy for things he didn't even do. It's like, that was the devil. He's like, actually, that was, that was all you. I was, I, was, I was somewhere else. That was 100% you, pal. I, I mean, I was going to mess with you, but I, then I just saw that I just leave you alone. You're... In a lot of ways, you're more dangerous to yourself than the devil. How does that work? Well, he has to check with God before he can bring a trial into your life. Read the book of Job. The Bible says that the devil asked God's permission to afflict Job. And what did Jesus say to Simon Peter on the night of his arrest? Satan has asked for you. Someone once said, even the devil is God's devil. He's on a leash. Now, sometimes from our perspective, it seems like that leash is a little bit too long. But I like how one theologian put it when he said that God ever, only ever gives the devil enough rope so that he can hang himself. So that at the end of the day, what he asked permission, come on, does that encourage you a little bit? That whatever the devil was stupid enough to ask God's permission to do in your life, God intends for it to boomerang around so that what he wanted to accomplish is thwarted and God's agenda gets served ultimately. And if you want any proof of that, just look at the cross where the devil was pumping his fist in victory until he realized it wasn't his victory that day, it was his defeat that day. And I really believe that. And so that, that's, that's, that's how you have to, to look at it. But when we look at the devil asking God's permission to mess with you, don't forget this. You don't have to check in with anybody before you make a mess of your life. You're capable of sabotaging yourself. And the I Declare War message is all about getting out of your own way. I was reminded of this in fall of 2018 when street artist Banksy from the UK uh, committed one of his, his most, uh, well, for sure, most talked about stunts he's ever pulled. He's famous for painting things on the side of buildings to make statements about consumerism and, you know, commercialism and all, and all that stuff. And, and so he arranged for one of his paintings, Girl with Balloon, to get auctioned uh, by Sotheby's in, in London. And while all these people were milling around, drinking champagne and eating caviar, here's this painting on the wall, and they're all kind of like, hmm, yes, I'll, I'll bid for that. And eventually the bidding got, listen to this, the bidding got up to $1.4 million. Then the auctioneer said, sold to the highest bidder. And just as he did, Banksy somehow or another activated a shredder, a paper shredder that he had installed into the bottom of the frame. And at the moment uh, the painting was sold, he was able to activate it, and the canvas began shredding itself, and the work of art was destroyed in front of the watching world. Here's a little clip he put on his Instagram after the fact. You can see at the end of the clip, the security guards are rushing the painting away to safety. Now, why were there security guards on hand that day? The answer is they were there to protect the painting from the people. But what they didn't know was that the painting needed protection from the painting. And so do you. And so do I. 
because we are oftentimes masters of self-sabotage. Oh, we talk a big talk about treating ourselves. That's a great hashtag. Treat yourself. Tom, treat yourself. Donna, should I buy it? Treat yourself. So here's the truth. We don't treat ourselves very well. In uh, the periodical, the Annals of Inner Medicine, a study was done about how well we do at taking medicine our doctors tell us to take. They found that in the United States, if 100 people are prescribed a medication, one-third of them will never pick it up at the pharmacy. One-third will just never get it at all. Of the 67 who do take it home, half of them will not take it correctly, meaning they'll miss doses, they'll take it at different times of the day when they should be taking it at a consistent time each day, or some will never take it at all. Now, this is true even when those medications are anti-rejection medicines after organ transplant surgery. This exact same numbers bear out. But what the study did find that was alarming was that the only time it was, it was defying the statistics is when the, the prescription was from your vet for your pet. Then we, we don't miss a dose. Come here, Fido. Right? We just compl- No, 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 no. You got no. Stop. We have to go home. We have to give the dog its medicine. What does it say of our inner self-loathing when we treat our dogs better than we treat ourselves? Yeah, we're good at treating ourselves. We're good at treating ourselves badly. We are often our own worst enemy. And I can't tell you how many times in life I feel just like Banksy's painting. I feel like there's a shredder and I've put myself through it. I've done things. I'm like, why did I do that? Have you ever driven home from a, a day at work and you just realized I had the wrong tone about me all day? I was just in a bad mood or as I describe it in the book, a, a bad mood is really being held hostage by the version of you that you don't want to be. Wow. I even gave the moody version of Levi a name because Levi can be rearranged to spell evil. I call the version of me, I don't want to be evil Levi. And I feel like in naming him, <laughs> I can take him off the guest list. Be like, that fool is not invited. He's not welcome to the party. <laughs> and I literally sometimes will even think about it, driving into work or going into a, a time with my wife. I actually say, you know what? I'm going to be the version of me that's saved, forgiven, healed, whole, filled with God's spirit. I don't want to be the touchy, triggered, self-centered, you know, self-absorbed, impatient version of me that, that, that creates situations that I myself then don't like after the fact with half of the tattered fragments of my painting sticking out the bottom and people just like running for cover, you know what I'm saying? I, I want to be a joy to be around. I want to enjoy the evening with my wife. I don't want to end up in a fight and, and realize there, I, I, I was spoiling for a fight. You know, I think sometimes we're capable of just kind of waiting to get wounded, hoping to get hurt, looking to see whether or not we were invited or tagged in that photo that got posted. You didn't tag me. Uh, right? It's like, okay, come on. Let's, let, let, who, who wants to walk in freedom? I, I just say for freedom, Christ has set us free. That's why it's time to declare war and win the war within. Now, you might not relate to me on, on, on those struggles. For you, it might not be, you know, like some of my struggles I have gone through in, in the past, like a social media obsession or addiction or, or, or sometimes, if I'm honest, retail therapy is my go-to. I'm feeling low, but not anymore. I bought something on Amazon, right? It's like, <laughs> it's just that go-to, like d- the dopamine hit that, that you get from just, well, it's com- something's coming. And just the mindless shopping or YouTube video watching or Netflix binging, which they've linked to depression, by the way. And I think it's because of that 10-second countdown that plays at the end of the episode. Now, that's the problem right there. You take that away because you're like, I, that's it. Okay, great. We know what happened. All right. Wait, 10, 9, 8. Quick, act, stop. Because ah. there's that fleeting moment where you realize 
I need to get dressed. I need to eat something. I need to go talk to my children. Probably should do some work. But then the next one started, and she's like, well, I can't stop it now. God wouldn't honor that. We finished what we started in this family. You know what I'm saying? And the real, the, when I really hit rock bottom, I found myself saying the words, just one more season, and then I'll stop. <laughs> Wait, what? Not one more episode? I'm just going to watch one more season? It's like 4 in the morning. I have a 6 a.m. flight. This can't end well. Anyhow, you might not relate to that at all or some of the other issues I've gone through, anxiety, struggling with bad dreams, waking up at 3 in the morning in a a cold sweat, just terrified, afraid, just my mind racing. I I don't know what the war is you need to declare. Uh, Maybe for you it's numbing. Maybe your, your instant response to, to stress is, is, is two, three Jack and Cokes, and you know, all of a sudden you've, you've numbed those feelings, or uh, you know, Xanax and you know, red wine, whatever it is for you, maybe numbing through gambling. Maybe, maybe it is the, the dopamine hit of social media, you know, feeling low, and so now you've got those likes coming in, and you're feeling, you're feeling worth. You're allowing your, your self-image to come from what other people say about you or, or speak over you or living out of your insecurities. The truth is it's really easy to come to a place where we rely on a mask we put on to feel like we're enough in this world. The mask of what, how big our boat is or the square footage of our home or how powerful we feel. It's easy to put these masks on. But what I discovered was that when you put a mask on, you mask yourself off from God's blessings because paint can't get on what you've masked off. So what the mask covers up, God can't bless. He can't bless who you're pretending to be, just who you actually are. It takes that authenticity, vulnerability, and humility of being authentically who you are and not posturing and pretending and one-upping and name-dropping and networking and constantly trying to assess your your place on the totem pole in the situation and who can help you get to it. That just is exhausting. And the, the only thing more fatiguing than being around an insecure person is being that insecure person. And I just think it's time for us, whatever our struggles are, however we're holding ourselves back from who we're meant to be, that we declare war and engage in this fight. In the book, I give space for you to write out a declaration of war. I declare war on blank because these things are holding me back. And no more am I going to rationalize or justify or explain away my bad behavior, explain away my selfish, sinful behavior on the basis of some painful thing I've been through? Well, you, you don't know. You can't judge me. You don't know what I've been through kind of a thing. Or, you know, everyone in my family's like this. I, I have a temper. Well, sure, I'm Irish. You know, but it, <laughs> what? The things we say. Or in our minds, think of someone who's worse than we are. Therefore, we feel okay. The worst example would be, well, I'm no Hitler. Yeah, well, well done. We are very proud of you. I'm no Hitler. You think really you're going to get to heaven? The one question is going to be, did you ever murder 8 million people? Nope. Come on in, right? Well, I'm no Hitler, right? What are we even talking about here? But instead of excusing and rationalizing and, and justifying and tolerating, because that's what we really do. We tolerate the dysfunction so long that we become blind to it. We're all blind to the dysfunction we tolerate. I realized this the other day uh, when we were... Uh, we, well, we were talking to Alexa, as all good stories start. <laughs> Alexa is such a weird thing. I was realizing the other day, my son, we have a two-year-old little boy, almost two, he's never going to not know life without Alexa in the room. Isn't that weird? Uh, but do you ever feel like you're cheating on Siri with Alexa? The other day I said, hey, Siri, and I, I tried to activate her, even though she's so hard of hearing. Like, Alexa's so good. Hey, Siri. She's like, what? <laughs> 
And, she, and then I started talking to her. She goes, you've been with her again, haven't you? Right? I'm like, no, you're the only digital assistant for me. Right? But so we were talking to Alexa. And we've kind of worked Alexa into our home. It's like she can turn off the lights and lock the front door and arm the security system and turn on the patio lights. And, and at one point, she could control our Christmas tree. Because we had a Christmas tree. Well, I'm not a pagan, right? And uh, it was fake because I'm allergic to Christmas trees. And uh, so it was in the corner and, you know, we had Alexa turn her off and on. And, but then, you know, the Christmas tree went away because I'm a Christian and the Christmas tree goes away. He's like, Thanksgiving is when you start listening to Christmas music. New Year's Day, the Christmas tree comes down and I will not hear anything else. Um, <laughs> so uh, I know it's like a house divided issue, but um, I'm, I have feelings on this subject. So the Christmas tree's gone, but we took the little Alexa plug and we plugged the floor lamp into it somehow, but we never went in the app and changed what it's called. And so we just, it, you'll hear randomly if you're ever in our house, like one of the kids would be like, Alexa, turn on the Christmas tree and a floor lamp turns on. <laughs> and we've just, you know, noticed it. But someone was in the house the other day and, and my wife yelled out, Alexa, turn on the Christmas tree. And they were very confused by everything that happened <laughs> because they were looking around. They couldn't see a Christmas tree anywhere. Why is that floor lamp on? And why does nobody think this is strange? <laughs> but we were just tolerating this dysfunctional behavior because it was normal to us. To some degree or another, all of us are habituated to our dysfunction to the degree that we don't even see it anymore. And we're not experiencing the levels of freedom that we actually could be walking in because we're blind to our own blind spots. And we all need heaven and the people around us, the community around us, to help us to see the ways that we're falling short of what life could actually look like if we would just engage. Now, like I said, I don't know what your battle is or what your battles are, but I do know this. If you'll choose to fight towards them, run towards them and engage in them with the power of God in your heart, instead of running back from them and staying in the shallow end of life, I believe the power like a wolf will rise up in your heart. Now, you look confused. Let me explain. <laughs> July 1st, 1898, it's uh, Cuba, Spanish-American War. Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders are there uh, to take the, the hill called San Juan, San Juan Hill. And as they begin to take the hill, bullets start coming. Now, Teddy Roosevelt is just a legend. Uh, what, I, I love, 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 love Teddy Roosevelt. He's my second favorite U.S. president. Um, so many things about his life fascinate me. Uh, he's also one and the same with Robin Williams forever because of Night at the Museum. Like, I cannot not picture Robin Williams when I think of Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, but... But he, uh, he was the first president to ever leave the country while in office, went to visit the Panama Canal, first president to ever receive the Nobel Peace Prize, the Medal of Honor, the first U.S. president to ever entertain an African-American in the White House, the first U.S. president to ever own, have a telephone installed in his home or own an automobile. So a lot of accomplishments. But of course, he also was this complicated character who spent time in the Dakotas cattle ranching and, and uh, making friends with this crazy group of cowboys and Indians that he would form into the Rough Riders along with his Harvard classmates when they volunteered to go as civilians and fight in this war that was breaking out. In his entire life, he had idealized the idea, the ethos of being a soldier. But now he's actually in a battle and there's bullets involved. He's like, when I was planning the, the, the uniforms on Pinterest, I didn't think about the bullets that would be flying. And so he found himself kind of falling back. And, and as the story goes, he was there and they were kind of crouched low at the base of this hill. 
and he found himself on the other side from the battle by a piece of barbed wire fence. And he was kind of fixating on the, uh, he was on the other side of the barbed wire. It's interesting the things you'll fixate on in a crisis. And he's seeing this barbed wire fence in the ground. But what it essentially represented for him was a point of no return. A crossing the Rubicon type of a moment. Because, man, if I go across this barbed wire, I'm exposed, we're committed, and it's do or die. Now, on the other side of this, I could, I could, go, I could stay safe here. I could stay alive here. Te- technically, he hadn't even get, been given formal permission to issue the charge that day. So no one would have batted an eye if he would have stayed where it was safe. Now, I think to some degree or another, we're all on this side of the barbed wire in some way. We're, we're like the children of Israel. We're meant to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. We've come out of the Red Sea. We've come out of Egypt. That represents baptism and salvation. But how much of the promised land, whether we go forward and take the peace and take the joy and, and enter into the relational harmony and the emotional intelligence and the self-management, all of these things that God wants us to take, the giants that need to be driven out, that's all up to us. So we're here on this side of the barbed wire fence. And what will happen if we, if we rush forward and take the hill? Here's the, here's the answer. Honest answer. I don't know. You might die. It could kill you. I can't tell you what's going to happen if you rush forward to have the marriage, to have the, the spirit, to have the habits that God wants you to have. I can't tell you what's going to happen if you go. But I can tell you what's going to happen if you stay where you are. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll keep getting what you've always got. And that day, Teddy Roosevelt, he looked at his men and he said, let's go. He charged them forward and they rushed out across the barbed wire fence. They rushed forward and his men said the moment he crossed that fence, he became the most glorious soldier they had ever seen. And he did not stop leading the men forward. He took a shot that shot off part of his earlobe. A pair of glasses got shot off his head. But he did not stop urging them forward until they had taken the hill. And it was the decisive moment and the turning point in the entire Spanish-American War because he crossed the barbed wire fence. And for the rest of Teddy's life, he would refer to that day, July 1st, 1898, as the single greatest day of his life because he experienced, he said, the power like a wolf rising up in his heart. That's why that fool got to become president because that's the kind of stuff he wrote in his journal. They're going to read my journal one day and it's going to say, had a smoothie, totally going to spin class next. And then... They're going to read his, and it's like, power like a wolf rose in my heart. And it's like, yeah, make him president, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, journaling's great, by the way. Let me just personally just give a, just a quick infomercial for journaling and how important that is. Teddy Roosevelt wrote his journal every day, even the day his mom and his wife died on the same day. February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1884. He wrote one sentence that day. The light has gone out of my life. But it was that darkness that caused him to plunge into the cattle ranching operation in the Dakotas that eventually toughened him up and made him into the man that he would be. But even in those dark moments, just writing down a guide, as I journal, I come across what I wrote last year on this day. I have a five-year journal where you see every day over day. And so I'm able to see what I was praying through, what I was struggling through, I was fighting through. I'm able to go, God answered that prayer. God did that. This is not as bad as it was back then. I can't believe back then I thought this was going to take me out. Or sometimes I look at stuff and go, it's worse now than it was then. Need to pray more. <laughs> See what I'm saying? It's not always great. But, but it's really a wonderful thing, this, this, this discipline of, of writing things down and having a record. The truth is I believe you and I are living history 
So why not let there be a record of the things that are being done and the things that are being said? When you write these things down, it forces you to question, is that what I wanted to have done? They say even just the act of writing down what you eat will cause you to eat better. Writing down how you behaved, if you've let yourself down or, you know, if you want to do something better, it's just a wonderful discipline. So, so anyhow, the power of a wolf. Uh, I wonder if there's not one or two of you who are like, you know, it's good that you brought that up, the wolf thing, because I don't actually want to be a wolf. Also, while we're on the subject, this is the worst Mother's Day sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> what are you even doing? Well, let me just say to that, the regular guy will be back next week. Not only is he taller, but he's better. So <laughs> do come back. But also, let me suggest that maybe the reason you don't really give yourself over to the idea of being a wolf is because in your head, wolves are three things. They're big, they're bad, and they like to blow houses down, right? <laughs> and maybe it's not even the fairy tales that have scared you off of the idea of a wolf. Maybe you're like, it's because I've read the Bible, and you should too sometime, Pastor Guy, because in the Bible, the devil likes the wolf, and God likes the shepherd. So we, we should not be on the wolf side. That is not okay. How like the enemy to cause you to completely write off a creature with attributes you desperately need to possess. The Bible says that the devil likes to run around pretending he's a lion. Are lions bad? Well, no, we kind of like them too. We have, we have a double standard then. <laughs> because snakes are bad, right? The devil's a serpent of old. But he's also, we're told, uh, we're told one who, who, who masquerades as an angel of light. Now, take the lion that the devil likes. The Bible says the righteous can be as bold as a lion. And the snake that the devil likes. And the Bible says that Jesus specifically commands us to be as cunning as serpents living in this perverse generation that we live in. So we should be like a snake. We should be like a lion. And I submit to you there's nothing wrong with seeing in the wolf things that we should want to have in our lives. In other words, the devil's interest in something should cause us to be tipped off to something powerful about them. And as I've investigated the wolf, I've, of course, found what we all think about. We think about this powerful warrior spirit. There's nothing like a wolf hunt. There's nothing like the power of a wolf. You know, that, that sound when you're out in the wild hearing it. Aah! I mean, it'll raise the hair on the back of your neck for sure. Where I live out in Montana, there's some big old wolves. And, and you think, I mean, it's, it's a serious, they're, they're an apex predator. A wolf pack, they can take down animals that weigh a lot more than they do. It's, it's an incredible thing. They're a fierce warrior, and that's what we think about, and we should. But that's not all, because wolves also have a softer side. They're incredibly complex relationships. They're pack animals. They care for each other, tenderly look after one another's concerns within the wolf pack. Wolves are known to exhibit guilt, uh, Comedy, they, they laughter, they have a sense of humor, they play with one another. They're also an animal that's known to grieve. They've been exhibited, they'll come back to where one of their own has fallen and there's a sense of honor and appreciation, almost sadness that they, they exhibit where, where someone they loved has died. It's incredible to study the nuances of, of life within the wolf pack. There's, of course, hierarchy, like there should be in anything that's successful, the team sport, church sport, business, family. It's, there should be hierarchy and people having different positions, but that doesn't mean that there's, there's lack of importance where there's authority. 
right? There's alpha male wolf, but there's also an alpha female wolf. There's a beta wolf. There's, there's omega wolf. There's lieutenants and generals. Uh, we're told, as I've read into it, that wolves all bow low in the presence of the alpha. Isn't that cool? When they enter the, the, the wolf den, there's a sense of honor and humility where they humble themselves before the alpha. Well, hey, guess what? Jesus is the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. And we all should bow low in the presence of the alpha. He's the head. He's the head of this wolf pack called the church. And, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. And the strength of the pack is the wolf. Hey! Right? There's, 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 there's something to it. And, and, and yet you also have in wolves a high level of empathy. They, they say that wolves are one of the only creatures outside of humanity known to be susceptible to contagious yawning. Now, picture the word yawn in your head real quick. Yep. Yep. Even the, the word, now, oh, that was a good one. They'll, that'll ripple throughout the room for the next six or seven minutes because we are susceptible to contagious yawning. Why? Because we have the ability to empathize. We read each other, and uh, the, your ability to, to ratchet up your level of empathy and your emotional intelligence will drastically impact your life. They say your EQ, that's as opposed to your IQ, which is what we traditionally focus on. What's your IQ, bro? Do you even lift? What's your SAT, right? We think the smarts is what's, what really matters. They actually say your EQ accounts for as much as 56% of your success in any career. And if you can raise your EQ uh, by every point you raise it, you will impact your annual take-home salary by as much as $1,300. So what's your EQ? This is your ability to read people, to be self-aware, to, to keep your foot out of your mouth, to not be the cringy person. You know, there's always that cringy person. It's like everything they say, you're like, oh, cringe, cringe, cringe. They come up, like, cringe, right? Just reading the room, knowing the right thing to say, comfortable in their own skin, not always you know, like the, the topper guy. Oh, y'all went somewhere? I went somewhere better. Cool. Thanks for being here, right? Like the, the level to which you cannot be that guy, it's going to drastically impact your life. It's going to impact your relationships. It's going to impact how you do in this world. It's this how to win friends and influence people that ultimately goes down to being a good listener, knowing how to choose a complimentary response when you sense stress in someone. It's knowing how to help people de-escalate conflict and, and they get, they're all triggered, right? They're all bowed up. You, you, we've all been there. I didn't get my table. I've been here longer. They got their table. Blah, blah, blah. And that person is like, well, what do you want? It's busy in here. What are they doing? They're radiating back the stress that you broadcasted, which only causes you to bow up even more. But man, have you ever been in a customer service situation where they're like a Jedi ninja on crack? And it's like almost like they say the exact right thing. And they're like, sounds to me like you're stressed out. Let me go check in that right now. That's not right. We wouldn't want that. We want to take care of you. And you're like, yes, it's wonderful. Thank you. You're amazing. She should be promoted. What'd they do? Jiu-jitsu, right? They took that, and you're like, ah, yeah, you didn't even know what was happening. What, what are they? They're self-aware. They're emotionally intelligent. They're empathizing like a wolf. So, so to recap, a wolf is a powerful warrior, but it's also a loving nurturer, and that is your destiny. And to the degree that you can walk in both those things, that power and strength, but also that tenderness and, and reading people, knowing how to respond to people, care for people, communicate to people, those two things will make you actually become like Jesus who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but also at the same time is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Majesty mixed with weakness, power, but 
in weakness. This is our God, and this should be us as well, to be fierce like a wolf, but that loving, caring heart. Now, if you have a Bible, I want to read to you a passage where Paul the Apostle gives us uh, some of his war strategy. It's 2 Corinthians 10. And I love this text so much because Paul, who also went through his own personal conflict, I mean, here, here's, a, here's a guy who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, planted churches all over the world, preached to kings, we're just reading his resume, got to go to heaven one time, but just for the day. He said, I know a man who got to go to heaven. This is in 2 Corinthians. He goes, this is the funniest thing in the Bible. He goes, I don't want to mention any names because, you know, I don't want to brag, but it was me. And um, what I experienced, this is Paul, what I experienced there, I, don't, I can't even tell you about it because I would ruin it. It was so epic. If I tried to explain it, it would ruin it. So you just got to wait. Trust me, though, it's amazing, right? Or to use my wife's sermon from yesterday, wait, there's more. And so... Um, Paul uh, has been through a lot that's great, but also in Romans 7, he says, what I don't want to do, I do. What I do, I don't want to do. So he's also complicated. In other words, he's just like you or me. And he gives us some of his war strategy in 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3. I'm reading out of the NIRV. I do live in the world, but I don't fight my battles the way the people of the world do. The weapons I fight with are not the weapons the world uses. In fact, it's just the opposite. My weapons? Come on, someone say, my weapons? my weapons? But say it with some sass. My weapons, my weapons. <laughs> are not the weapons the world uses. In fact, it's just the opposite. My weapons have the power of God to destroy the camps of the enemy. Underline that word, camps of the enemy. Verse 5, I destroy every claim and every reason that keeps people from knowing God. I keep every thought, underline that, every thought under control in order to make it obey Christ. Are you blessed by the reading of Scripture? Come on, do you love the Bible? Don't you just feel grateful just even how you feel different after reading that? You never get finished reading the Bible and be like, I wish I hadn't done that, right? So it's just always just lifts you up to a higher level. I want to give you three quick takeaway truths as we begin to try and put some of this into doggy bags that will help us hopefully to, to live on a higher level. And the first thing I want you to write down is the, the phrase, mind your head. Mind your head. That's another way of saying watch your head. Like in England, when you go to England, they say mind instead of watch, which is, you know, most things that they say in England are wrong. Um, <laughs> like, you know, they, they don't call it, you know, they don't call it French fries, they call them chips. And they don't call it an apartment, they call it a flat. And they don't call it an elevator, they call it a lift. And they don't call it a stroller, they call it a push trolley. And they don't call it a trash can, they call it a bin. And so they don't call it a trash bag, they call it a bin liner, right? It's just uh, hashtag we won and stuff. But <laughs> they don't even drive on the right side of the road. What is it with these people? Uh, so... When I was in England last, I, I did notice one thing they do that's a little bit better than, than, than how we do it. That is to say that when, when there's like a low overhang you're going to walk under, we would put the sign that says, like, watch your head. They would say, mind your head. Mind your head. And I got to thinking about it, and I was like, that's actually better because you can't watch your head because your eyes are mounted on your head. <laughs> so unless there's like a mirror involved, you cannot watch your head. It's like physically impossible. You, you never can watch your head. Try. <laughs> but be mindful of your head. That's good advice. Mind your head. 
So, so in that way, I say it, mind your head. Because this battle that you're winning, that you're going to win, before the battle of fist comes battle of mind. Kung Fu Panda taught me that, y'all, right? That's because that's I got kids. I see that movie a bunch of times, right? So, so, so mind your head. That's why Paul said in the text, to destroy the camps of the enemy, I keep every thought under control. I had you underline them. I want to destroy the camps of the enemy, so I got to keep my thoughts under control. The strongholds the enemy gets to take hold in our lives, for so many of us, they take place in our mind. Why? Well, Proverbs 23, verse 7 puts it this way. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. That is to say, you are what you think. The camps of the enemy always refers to a a strategic stronghold. And anybody who's got military experience, you understand that the high ground is key to controlling the outcome of any battle. You think of Normandy, you think of, uh, well, the battle for San Juan Hill in the Spanish-American War. The space race was the ultimate quest to control the high ground. Why do we invest all this into our drones, into, into the ability to launch fire from on high? It's because we can control the high ground and thus control the outcome of any situation. Well, there's no higher ground in your life than your head. Your head is your life's high ground. And if I'm your enemy and I can control your thought life, I know that I can control all of your life, which was, is why Paul says, if I want to get these strongholds out, I got to learn to think differently. That's, that's, that's key that you understand this, because you can't live right if you won't think right. Where your head goes, your body will ultimately and inevitably follow. And so let me ask you this question. What is the polarity of your thought life like? Are you constantly allowing negativity to dominate the way you think? Figures always goes that way. Oh, oh yeah. She got the promotion. Sure, of course. Well, that's rainy. Always rainy on my birthday. I hate it. Right? It's just where it's like this is negativity, this cloud that follows you around. Right? Now you're saying, oh, okay, this is where you get into this, you know, positivity, you know, you know, new age thing on me. You're going to tell me the power of positive thinking. No, I'm not suggesting positivity as a re- replacement for God. I'm talking about positivity as a response to God. That because you believe God is good and because you believe God cares for you, because you believe God is, is, is the one who's gone before you to set things up and watches you from the back, watches your six, is your rear guard, as the Bible would put it. Because you believe that he uh, is going to make a table before you in the presence of your enemies, anoints your head with oil, causes your cup to overflow. You, that, that, that's, that right there should key you off to something. Half glass, glass half full, half empty. Neither. My glass is overflowing, y'all. That's how I feel it. Because God's going to be good even when life is bad. And that kind of thinking will not allow there to be the kind of negativity that so often creeps in. Studies have been done. They found that the average American has 500 negative thoughts per day, lasting on average 14 seconds in length. Which if you add that up, that's about 1.8 hours per day. We give over to fear, to worry, to selfishness, to just, just thoughts that aren't productive at all. Now, you don't, this is, this is some permission time. Ready? I'm going to give you a permission slip. This is your permission slip. You don't have to think everything you feel. A thought can show up and you can, like Paul said, take that thought captive. Keep that thought in control. Install a TSA checkpoint in your mind. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, jealous thoughts aren't allowed in here today. It's Tuesday. 
Jealous thoughts are not allowed on Tuesday. Come back on never, right? That's, that's the kind of power we have to exercise over our minds. Your flesh wants you to think that you have to do everything you, you feel like doing, but you don't. And freedom comes when you can have a thought pop in your head and go, not today, devil. Jesus is in charge of this mind. We're under new management. And you're going to... Not allow anything that's not good, acceptable, praiseworthy, noble, kind to, to allow itself to stay in your mind. The reward for negativity is just more negativity. It just cycles because whatever you're searching for, you're going to see more of. And so if you're always walking around hoping to get hurt and waiting to get wounded and, you know, oh, I can't, oh, figures, right? Oh, my husband's so selfish. And then she does something selfish. See, you were, you were, you were waiting for him to do that. You already convicted him of a crime he didn't even commit yet. So, of course, you're going to see the slightest tone of negativity. But if you retrain your mind to not search for those things, but to be looking for the good, look, look for any reason to praise your kids, however small it might be. All right, that's great, right? We, 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 we move towards the toilet, right? So, good job, Billy, right? It's like, whatever. But when you're looking for the right things, you're going to find those things, and it's going to lead to a life you love instead of one you loathe. Well, there's a second. Second thing I want you to jot down is use your words. Use your words. Why would I say that? Because you can't be a wolf if you won't tip your head back and howl. Hey. <laughs> you have to use your words. You think about uh, a wolf's howl and how impressive it is. They can be heard from up to 10 miles away. Well, you can't do that, but you speak 5,000 words per day. That's pretty powerful. And you think about the power God's given to human speech. We're told in... Proverbs 18, words can kill or words can give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. I love the ending of that verse. You choose. You know that God, did you know that God created the world by speaking? He spoke and it was. And he's made you in his image. And so to some degree, you have the power of creation as you open up your mouth. And whether you create life or death is entirely up to you. Now, of course, this is true in the in the, you know, the way you speak to your wife, the way you speak to your kids, the way you text, the way you Facebook, all that, all that, all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But did you know your words also make an impact on you? Your words create certain atmospheres in your heart. Your words create certain situations. And the Bible talks specifically about certain situations Jesus walked into where he could do no mighty miracles. He could do no mighty work because there wasn't gratitude, honor, and faith present. And so let me ask you this question. Are your words inadvertently creating situations where God cannot do the kind of things he wants to do because your words lack hope and faith and honor and gratitude and love? Or are your words creating the fertile conditions under which God can do the kind of mighty miracles that he's longing to do in your day? It's up to you. You choose. I think sometimes to myself that every time we end up, you know, there's those fortune cookie things you're supposed to do. Like at the end of your fortune cookie, you add on. Oh, you just, you know what you add on. There's different things and they're not all appropriate for church. But, <laughs> but I wonder if, if every time you speak or say something, if you could almost hear heaven say, if you say so, as you wish. If you say so, as you wish. For example, let's say, you mind if I sit down? It's such a beautiful environment. It would be a shame for no one to enjoy it today. Um, <laughs> let's say you're, you're driving to work 
and you're just saying to yourself, can't believe this traffic in this stupid city. I can't believe this car. Barely, oh, this car is so Mercedes going by. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, they probably blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and, uh, and my, oh, my husband and you know, this, 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 uh, the kids in the carpool. Oh, my, I lost my salvation talking to them today. And, you know, and, <laughs> oh, and on my boss and just have Listerine much. And gosh, his breath is awful. And he thinks he's so funny. And, uh, and, and you're driving. Imagine heaven going, if you say so. Because the power God gave you are allowing your words to create. So all you're going to see today is your, your cramped car, your terrible apartment, your rude coworkers. You're going to, your, your, your city is going to shrink down in upon you because you created a, ra- a reality for yourself. On the other hand, if, if you choose to say, you know what, I believe I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living today. I resolve in my heart today, I'm going to honor God with the way I think, honor God with the way I speak. I'm going to seek to be a blessing, not need a blessing. I'm going to seek to notice people and not wait for someone to notice me. And today I'm on a quest. I'm on a quest to bless people. Today I'm on, I'm on, I'm on a quest to, to, to live out the will of God. And so now driving, I, I choose to say, God, you know what? I thank you that this car that's barely hanging on for dear life, thank you that I have a car. And you know what? I'm not walking down the side of the road. Thank you that I'm healthy today. Thank you that I live in this great country. Thank you that I have a great church. Thank you that you saved my soul. Thank you that I'm headed to heaven. Thank you that I have a job. Thank you so much for opportunities, even in adversity. I think with a twinkle in his eye, you're going to hear God saying, if you say so. And now all of a sudden, life's going to transform around you into a place bursting with possibility and opportunity and blessing even in the midst of adversity. Come on, let's use our words to do good and not evil. Is anybody with me that's willing to give God a good amen? All right, use your words. Lastly, certainly not least, yeah, you got to you got to speak softly for sure, for sure. But you also got to carry a big stick. Come on. Come on, Roosevelt. You got to carry a big stick. And that is to say there's got to be some power you're relying upon. Yes, do all the things that you can do, but never forget the power of God that can bring what you can never bring to a situation. To quote verses 3 again in the Passion Translation, look at this. He says, we don't wage a military campaign employing just human weapons. Our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power. Yes, Think about positive thoughts. Yes, speak life-giving words. But at the end of the day, we are not to wage war just with human techniques. That is to say, we need to be energized from above with the Holy Spirit of God that descended upon Jesus like a dove that's waiting to descend upon you. Just as they gave little flames of fire and power to the disciples who were preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth, God wants to fill you with his spirit to love the unlovable. He wants to fill you with his spirit to deal with the difficulties in your co-working arrangement and the difficulties at life. Let me tell you, every impossible thing needs power because the enemy wants to burn you up with trial, burn you up with temptation. Some people in your life are just trying to poke you, poke you, poke you till you finally snap and they go, see, I knew it. You're like, what in the, but you know what? It's called getting your goat. How many times are you going to get your goat gotten till you tie your goat up somewhere else, right? You just got to, you got to put one of those panels over the buttons in the elevator, right? They keep poking the buttons. You know what? We're going to put a little, little panel here. We're going to move the buttons. I, I just wonder if, if, if there's not some different things we need to do in some, in some different ways. But at the end of the day, some people are just impossible. Some things are just, it just seems like it's impossible. We need God's help to do God's work. God has given you power to do impossible things. It's called the Holy Spirit. 
Now I know some people are like, ah, I've had some weird experiences. Just know this is not a charismatic thing. And this is not a denominational thing. This is a scriptural thing. And Jesus said we need the power of the Holy Spirit to energize our efforts. So my encouragement to you would be every single day, wake up and say, God, I need you to fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. I need power. I'm hurting. This seems hard. This is scary. This is big. I'm overwhelmed. I feel shaky even just thinking about doing this thing. I feel like I want to go back to one of my numbing things or put one of my old masks back on. I want to revert back to some of these old tendencies or go find the barbed wire and hide on the other side of it, somebody. But instead to say, God, I need your Holy Spirit to fill me up like fire from above. I'm telling you, I got up on this platform in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in yesterday's anointing, not in last week's anointing, not in last year's anointing. Why? Because I leak. And so do you. So we need a fresh anointing for a fresh opportunity, a fresh challenge. You need to carry a big stick, and God is prepared to give it to you. He's prepared to be strong where you're weak. He's prepared to be your covering and to be a hedge about you and to allow you to mount up with wings like eagles to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint. I'm telling you, you need to rely on the power of the Holy Ghost and the power of the people to your left and to your right. The strength of the wolf is to pack. Strength of the pack is the wolf. We need each other to be strong where one another are weak, to confide in each other how we're struggling so we can pray for each other and have each other's back. To quote from the Homer's Odyssey, do you have people in your life who will tie you to the mast when, when the siren's song causes you to be the version of you that you don't want to be? We need, we need people in our lives who love us enough to hold us back from making a, a mess of our lives. Now, this is all good and well, and maybe some of you are like, man, this is, this is exactly what I needed to hear this Mother's Day weekend. Uh, maybe there's a few others of you who are saying, yeah, this is great, but gosh, it's, it's already too late for me. You talk about the painting going through the shredder. I've been through the shredder, a shredder a few times or two. It's like, this is all really well, but I feel like I have so many layers of mistakes, and I'm so entrenched in these old habits, and this dysfunction is so prevalent in my life that I don't even know where, where to even start. Well, let me just encourage you to look at it perhaps a little differently because I read in the the news that art experts estimate that the Banksy painting now in its half-shredded state is worth far more than it was when it was perfect. In fact, it's inspired art and obviously conversation, and here we are talking about it. In fact, I came across on Etsy a shirt one person was selling. This is a very creative person who was selling this shirt. Yeah, that's, that's opportunity striking right there. Well done. I love that entrepreneurial spirit. It's a shirt inspired by the half-shredded painting. Why would someone pay more for the painting shredded than when it was whole? The answer is, to the person who actually appreciates Banksy, they understand that the painting was never just the painting, that the masterpiece was the whole performance that day. The actual work of art was never just the painting and the pretty canvas. It was always about the reaction of the room. It was about the surprised girl with her glasses coming down her nose, taking the selfie. It was about the the posh British auctioneer trying to keep a, a stiff upper lip when all hell was breaking loose in that moment. The art was the story. The art was the whole scene and how that was just one aspect of it. And here's what I say to you who feel like you've already been through the shredder and you've sabotaged yourself and you've messed up some relationships, and you've alienated some people, and you've created your own nightmare, so to speak, in some way or another, and here you now sit in this reality going, what do I even do? Here's what I say to you. What makes you think that the artist, God, is surprised by your mess? 
What makes you think that he doesn't have a plan to work the shredded bits of the canvas of your life into a greater masterpiece, into a greater story? He knew from the beginning that painting was going to get shredded, and he knew from the beginning how he was going to work it into what he saw in his mind's eye. And your God, who sent Jesus to die on the cross before the world was even made, already has a plan today to work the tattered remains of your life into something magnificent if you let him. Our God can make beautiful things out of broken people in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that right now we all sit here with pain. We all sit here with, with, with mistakes. We're all broken people. None of us are perfect. But you want to work our mistakes, our sin, our error, our tragedy into something bigger with your grace. We pray you'd give us the strength to see that. And with all of us praying, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if you're here today and you would just say, I want to respond to this message. I want to declare war. I want to cross that barbed wire fence. I want God's power like a wolf to rise up in me. If you would be honest enough to say that, could I just ask that you would do something bold and raise your hand up in the air? By raising your hand up, you're saying, I want to engage in this battle. I want to move forward in all that God has for me. Thank you, Jesus. My hand is up. Man, new, new, new levels, new devils. Every time I, I feel like I make some progress, I see some new area. So I'm, I'm, I'm raising my hand up as well. But thank you, Jesus, for all these who, with vulnerability and humility, are admitting their weakness. And thank you for the ways that you work in our lives when we're honest enough to come to you for help. And I pray your blessing on each of these. May your faith shine upon them. May your spirit work in their hearts and lives. In Jesus' name. You can put your hands down. And, and as we continue to pray, I want to just extend an invitation now to anybody who's here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. You know, there comes a point in all of our lives when the Holy Spirit rings the doorbell inside of us and we all have the space to give our lives to God. And if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never turned your life over to him, you can. The Bible says that God loves you and sent Jesus to die for you. And if you open your heart up to Jesus, he'll come into your life. That moment came for me my freshman year of high school right here in New Mexico at a Calvary of Albuquerque summer camp when I realized I was religious, but I didn't have a relationship with God. And maybe you're here and you need to invite Jesus to come into your life. So with all of our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask that if you are aware of your need to give your heart to Christ, if even right now you're under a conviction of your sins, you feel like God is calling you to him, you feel like you need to be forgiven, you need to let God in. If, if that's you I'm describing, can I ask that while we're all praying, you would just raise your hand up in the air. Just right now, just raise it up. Don't put this off. Get right with God today. Respond to his conviction. God bless you. Just put your hands up. Balcony, church online. God bless you right here. In the, in the family room, I see you. Anybody else before we pray? You're saying, include me in this prayer. God bless you. Hands going up around the room in the back over here. God sees all of your hands, all of your hearts. He knows your name. He knows your story. You could put your hands down. And I want to pray with you a simple, short prayer. You asking Jesus to come into your heart. Now I'm going to ask the church family to pray it with us. Our way of saying we welcome you into the family. Say this. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself. Please come into my heart and make me new. I give myself to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, come on, let's celebrate with all those making this decision. God bless you, Calvary. 
We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church/give. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.